Hello there, welcome to Poet Waffle, episode 25 with me, Daniel Cockrell, where I usually invite a poet round my house for an intimate chat. But this is a special edition of Poet Waffle on the Road, where an artist or a poet invites me round their house for an intimate chat. And during that chat, we'll explore the visceral space between fact and fiction, which I believe is more of a feeling where poets use their emotions to navigate the world and hopefully reveal certain truths that are neglected by those other fields. And it's an absolute honour to be around the house of photographer, publisher of such books as The Sound of Two Songs, Mass, uh, the Good Morning America trilogy and the shipping forecast is where I met him. I know it's going to be reissued. He's also a very old friend because he was my tutor at university. I was. It's Mr. Mark Power. Hello, Dan. Hello, Mark. How are yes, you? Sir. I'm very well, thank you. And thank you very much for um, that introduction. Um, I think actually... You've come to me because I'm too lazy to come to you. So thank you very much. Do you know? That. Do you know? But what? it's nice, actually. It must be nice to take it on the road. I guess it's brilliant. It it's up all sorts of other It's something I've wanted to do for a long time, and also because of lockdown, um, it's much harder for people to just people aren't coming to London as much. And tra- so before I relied mm. on people travelling through London mm-hmm. and made it much easier. And now it's like, oh, we can't, and the cost of living so high that people are like, oh, I've got to stay and work. So I suddenly thought, well, I need, I'd like to take it on the road. It's something I'd always wanted to do because I know people that live on houseboats and interesting places. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're the first one. You're the first on the ro- poet off on the road, which is really nice. Yeah, exciting. Um, just tell us, so where are Because people know the poet waffle and I'm usually in my shed. Yes. Which I'm surrounded by books and things. Mm-hmm. Where are we now? Where are we? What part of the house are we in? So... Um, I'm very fortunate. I have um, uh, a studio space, which is actually the flat next door to our house. So um, it's a strange story. Um, a few years ago, like four years ago, my, my dear dad passed away. Yeah. And uh, he, he was living in a, in a house in, up in Cheshire. And uh, the house was sold. And to cut a long story short, I received some inheritance and um, just by chance, the day that I received that inheritance, the flat next door to our house, the ground floor flat next to our house, came on the market for exactly the same amount of money as the inheritance was. And so we put in an offer, had it accepted, and then um, and we, and we bought the flat next door, which happened to come with the back garden. So what we were able to do is knock the two gardens into two, into one, sorry, and then I've, so I've got this lovely four second commute through through the garden into my studio and I've never had a studio in my life and I'm 63 now so yeah. it's probably about time um, so it's it's really it's really been a life-changing um, moment for me to, to 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 buy this space and then convert you know we we had to take out a, another mortgage unfortunately suppose soon after we'd paid off the house we had to take another mortgage out to actually convert this space into what I wanted it to be but basically it's the flat which is now my studio and it's a storage space for all my amazing exhibitions uh, which actually maybe it's a good time to say if there are any photographers out there listening to this the one or best piece of piece of advice I think I could give anybody who's starting out as a photographer is work small because yeah. I've had this problem of working big for 40 years and now I pay the price because I've got to yeah. store all this stuff and yeah. um and it's a it's an issue about what's going to happen to it in the future after i go um yeah so it's it's a problem for a young for a lot of us actually who are who, are, who like like visual artists yeah um and i think you're in a very different position i know you publish a lot of books but they're relatively small and, yeah you know and easy to transport whereas i've just amassed all this stuff because you've got the books on top of that as well yeah very large for, for those of People listening who don't know Mark's work, um, the dimensions are can there can be a few meters. Not quite, square. but the, I think the biggest ones I do are like uh, 
50 by 65 inches. Okay. So, yeah, a couple of meters yeah, wide. Yeah. That's yeah. the biggest things, and they're in frames, and they're heavy. And yeah. It's, a, a it's young, an issue, but now young... that it's all here, you see, in the flat, uh, and I sort of confront it every day, it's, it's helping me to think about what I really need. So it's a yeah. constant editing down of, of my life, I suppose, into yeah, what yeah. I, I want to leave behind, uh, rather than in the old days where I had a lock-up space and I would just put everything in there, lock it up and put the key in my pocket and forget about it. And it was, it used to worry me about what, what would happen yeah, if I was if to go went. under a bus <laughs> and leaving all that, all that chaos to my children. So I think that this, this is, it's, it's uh, I think as you get older, there's something comforting about starting to organise things a little bit without being too macabre because I hope yeah, I've yeah. got a few years left. I yet. think you've got a few years left. <laughs> Thank you. What I was going to say was, do you think because of the digital age, and I, I was a photographer and I stopped mm -hmm. making photographs very good photographer. pretty much when the digital started, mm -hmm. came around, I, I kind of left photography. Um, are the young people who are making photographs, are they making real prints that are large like you like you guys are making well you know, from that, your era actually that's a very good question um and whenever i i don't teach anymore in the university uh, but I, I do do workshops and i i think uh i'm always banging on about the importance of making prints because yeah. otherwise you're just dealing with ones and zeros that can easily get lost we've yeah. all we've all had pictures on our iphones that we've lost over the years and um so it's, I think it's still important to make physical things and to store them away. Uh, so in, in that cupboard over there, I've, got, I've been really um, fortunate that it occurred to me very early on that every project I, I did or I was working on that had any, any merit, I would make prints at the time and yeah. I would um, uh, sign them and date them and put them away in, in archival boxes. So my life's work is in those orange cupboards over yeah, there, yeah. and and it's it is it's good to have something physical to look at and think I created that, you know. Yeah. And I think it's not the same. It's not the same when you're looking at pictures on the screen, and they and over years you can imagine how many millions of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of pictures you're going to acquire. It'll just become. Talk about a manana thing. Oh, I'll sort it out tomorrow, which we yeah. will do. You just never. The yeah. bigger it gets, the more. I impossible think having it something comes. physical as well. What you realise once times passed. So at the time, it could be a very unsuccessful project, or but seen that you don't think it's very good. Mm -hmm. But you only have to let ten years pass, and you're like, wow, this is why it's taken a whole new meaning. So yes. if it's only on a screen, and I've only seen your Good Morning America work which is incredible. I've only seen it on the screen and you, I've seen the prints here. I've never seen it in book form mm. or, or properly. And uh, yeah, it takes on a, you, you want that physical thing. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember, um, um, I belong to an agency called Magnum that some, some people listening to this might have heard of. And, um, one of our, one of the members, um, some years ago, started to um, make books on CD-ROM. <coughs> right. Uh, and we all thought this was the future because, of course, it, it introduced the possibility of having words, the photographer talking about the, the right. pictures yeah, you're yeah, looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. You can add music and poetry, all sorts of things, and you can play it backwards or whatever. Um, but it didn't work yeah. because I think people... People love the physicality of a real book. And, and photo books is a, is a sort of um, a world that... I inhabit passionately uh, and I sometimes think that it's a bigger world than it probably is. It's probably like y you in the poetry world that, you know, all you have so many friends who are poets <coughs> and I have so many friends who collect photo books and I'm thinking that, oh, you know, some, they, there are times when you think everybody does this. They're very but much, because I'm a poet, so I've got poetry books and photography mm -hmm. books. So when I photography books are... A force unto themselves, and what the the amount of money they can accumulate. You really don't get that with a a poet unless it's a hundred, two hundred years old. Yeah. Whereas you can make a book that's uh, five hundred copies. They sell out immediately, and then the prices would just up. would yeah, just I go know. up incredible I know. on the secondary market. Absolutely, because they're very collectible. And I think one of the reasons 
it's 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 the visual art which is most suited to the book, book form because yeah. it is a print in the first yeah. place. So if you think about a, a, a sculptor making a book, it's yeah. usually it's always disappointing yes. because you have to be in a room with the sculpture to ex experience the sculpture. So no matter how good the photograph or series of photographs is of a sculpture, you never get the same experience. I'm, I'm really interested in that idea of finding the best format for whatever you do. So I, there's a, a, a Norwegian cartoonist that I follow called Jason and his best format is in, if you put it on film, if you put it, make a film of it, it isn't going to be how he's drawn it. He's found the perfect format mm. for his work, how, how he's going to draw mm. it on the page. Um, poetry, you know, finding the best way of delivering poetry, whether in book form or out loud. Um, and it, it's different for poets. Every, every poet's different. So some poet, it has to be read out loud. Mm -hmm. Other poems, mm -hmm. if they're concrete poems, they can exist on the page. Yeah. But I think with photography, you want to see photographs on the wall and you want to see them in book form because they're... Yes, yeah. uh, and they're very different experiences, of yeah, course. Yeah, and yeah. I, what I, I can't bear is the kind of laziness of almost cutting up a book and sticking it on the wall yeah, and that's yeah, the yeah. exhibition. It has yeah. to be treated differently, which is why... <clears throat> You know, which is why years ago I wanted to work with you because it added another dimension. But also when we did our exhibition, it, it was multifaceted and it had sound and it had obviously yeah. live poetry reading and it had sculptural elements. And I think that that, some of which was carried forward into the book, but um, uh, what that, that that we could. But different experiences. Can I just say before, if you can hear the panting coming from that's Mark's dog Kodak. It's not me. <laughs> It's not that it's so hot in here. Yeah, we are. Oh, so excited to see you, Dan. <laughs> so so the, the reason I've you know, asked you on the podcast is because because we did a project together where you experienced poetry and words and we tried to put mm. what you do so well and what I do together. But there's also, a, if I think of you, and it, this goes right back to your first book, The Shipping Forecast, before it was published, I think. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I might have made this up in my head, but I remember you telling me a story that you you were thinking of having the introduction written by Ivor Cutler. Yes. Is that true? It is true. And he came to our house. So when, we, when did you graduate? Was it 97? 97. So I think oh, I bought a book off of you, <clears throat> the first edition. Yeah, it um, came out in 96. Okay. And I've still got the list that I put up on the notice board offering the book at £15, I think oh, did it was. We bought it for? Yeah, wow, I mean, okay. those first editions are now worth over 400 quid. So to, as, a, as an example uh, of what you were talking about. Yeah. And I've still got it. Um, so some people, like I think Paul Durings, for instance, uh, was smart enough to buy two copies. Oh, really? So he's got yeah. one in the cellophane and yeah, one probably. in... <laughs> probably. I've, so I've but, got... Um, I, I always think about... Like, so I've... The, the one book I wished I'd bought for £3 at the time from the Photographer's Gallery was... Paul Graham's A1. Ouch. And I, Three pounds. And I never bought it. Because I, I, at the time, I was really into um, new... It was before I'd come to Brighton. Mm -hmm. And I was into new American photography. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like, oh, I kind of like it, but I, I'd rather buy this Eggleston book. Yeah. And I, that's probably my regret of yeah. n not buying that book, because I should have just... At the time, three pounds was... Wasn't cheap for me actually. It's no, quite, no, no, but I remember thinking, oh, sh it was that. It was weighing it up. Whereas oh, no. now, would have been like, oh, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I bought all the Julian Germain. I bought all my Julian Germain uh, soccer Wonderland books. Oh, great! And yeah. the, I've got the sticker book that's uh, that stuck the stickers in. So I've I've still got all those. Now, so funny thing, my my son Milligan, yeah. his best friend, started going out with and uh, courting with a, a a young woman. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, Milligan said to me oh and uh, her her dad's a photographer too but he's not very good <laughs> he's not he's not as famous as you are my son said so yeah. I said I just put it to one side mm. I thought oh bless him and then turns out that it's Julian Germain oh wow and um, so of course I say but Julian Germain's one of my big absolute yeah. photography heroes and I think they're all a bit taken aback that's incredible us. well when when he came it so when we, I was at the University of Brighton and Mark was my tutor and we used to have lots of guests come in and do talks. Mm. When Julian Germain came in and talked, that was one of my 
I was a bit of a fanboy. Yeah. I was a bit like, oh, wow. Um, so a lot of the talk chats, I was like, okay, I could take them or leave them. But yeah. when do you, I was just like, okay, I knew him before. I loved his work. Mm. He came in and then spoke. And the way he spoke, I was just like, okay, that is what I'd like to yeah. be trying. But, oh, well, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. going to be, is he going to be in the family? Is it, so it's Milligan's it's girlfriend? Milligan, no, no, oh, no, 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 it's but, Milligan's best friend's oh, okay. new girlfriend. Her okay. dad is, it's... Okay, it's, so yeah. you might be going to the wedding, though, if it Well, that would be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, we've, so Ivor Cutler came round. So Ivor Cutler came round, yeah. So going back to I your wrote, introduction. I wrote yeah. Ivor Cutler and yeah. said, um, would you be interested... I've been taking these pictures around the shipping forecast sea areas... And I'm doing a book, and um, I, are you interested in the shipping forecast? And if you are, uh, would you would you be interested in writing a, a, a an introductory text? You know, as a as a paid job. Um, and he he wrote back this quirky letter, which I must have somewhere, and um, saying he, he he he's very interested. So I'll be, I'm arriving at I'll arrive at Brighton Station at this time. And meanwhile, I'd heard these stories. About so I I, I have I have a friend who who once was in the car with Ivor Cutler, and she happened to have um, an air freshener in her car, <laughs> and and even though it was the middle of winter, he wound down the window and stuck his head out, make, without saying anything, but making it very clear that he. And then at the end of the trip, when everyone in the car is freezing cold, he said, "I can't bear air fresheners." I've got I've, you know lilting Scottish accent. So I met him on the two one four bus in yeah. Kentish Town, and it was a packed bus, and he was sitting at the front, and I was standing right next to him, and I just said, "Oh, you Ivor Cutler?" And he said, uh, "Yes." You know, he had all his um, his leggings on with safety pins and yeah. like his punk looking, uh, his punk look. And then a week later, I don't know if he gave me a flyer or what, but I was at, I think it was Hampstead uh, in the bookshop there, and he was doing a gig reading from his little books and uh, he's reading people chuckling because you know these you know sort of funny little uh, poems that he's reading out yeah and uh, he, he was taking it he was like oh you know they're quite good aren't they that's what he said out loud and then a mobile phone went off Oof. and it and i told the, the hate i felt he went i hate this world and it, and it was just, it must have been, not many people would have had mobile phones. It was just at the, wow. the start of that. I was like, oh, I felt that. And then afterwards, I, got, I, was, I went to get my book signed. And I said, oh, Ivor, do you remember I met you on the 214 bus? And he went, yes, and we're still talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> what a character, man. They don't make them like that anymore. Anyway, so he came down. Yeah. I picked him up at the station. Very careful not to have a <laughs> fresher in the car. And... Um, Brought him round, and Joe and I had made him a walnut cake. Anyway, so he came in. Did you know he liked walnut cakes? He, he didn't like walnut cake. <laughs> that was the point. <laughs> he didn't. He said, "I don't want that. I don't like walnuts." He was so rude. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I showed him the pictures on the kitchen table, and he was so unimpressed. He, it was obviously not what he was expecting to see. I think right. he thought he would just see pictures of the sea. Yeah. And uh, and the pictures have largely got people in them doing stuff, and um, and he just looked at me and he said, "I'm not interested in doing this. Take me back to the station." And um, so uh, um, so I, I ran him back to the station, but before I took him, um, he said, I, "I'd like to use your bathroom." <laughs> and then when I got back from the station, having delivered him safely there. I noticed that in, he'd been into my office and put little stickers, profound stickers, you know, with little like messages on it. Yeah, yeah, like um, next to my bookshelf, it was he had put a little gold sticker that said "Made of Dust," which is still there. And I've got um, a mirror which is just around the corner there that still has "You Are Beautiful" oh, stuff wow. on it. Amazing. And um, and all over the place, all over yeah, the like house, were these stickers. So he'd left this legacy behind, and I never saw him again. He was such so rude, and, <laughs> and I. But I thought it was it was interesting because I think that the you talked about fact and fiction earlier on, and my work is all about that, and. 
you know, my reason for starting to make work about a radio program, yeah. the Shipping Podcast, yeah, yeah. which is a British national institution, of course, although it exists in other countries. Um, but my, my reason for doing it was because I had these imaginary landscapes I'd built up in my head since childhood, yeah. you know, without yeah, even yeah. thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. If, if, you know, if someone had said, what is Sea Area Dogger like, I probably would have had this picture in my mind. Yeah. And so I, I, want, I was interested in going out and, and visiting all 31 sea areas to see if there was a, any relationship between the fiction in my mind, the imaginary landscapes and the actual reality of what yeah. I found there. And uh, of course there never was. Yeah. And where those two things clashed, if it's not too pretentious, I think some interesting work started to emerge where, where I was sort of surprised by what I found. And, and so his reaction to it was, was really proof of that, that my offering of what, the sh- what these shipping forecast places might look like was, did not correspond Proof to what he mind. expected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so he didn't like it. And indeed, when I published the book, um, I did get a number of, not many, but a handful of letters from your proverbial Mr. Angry yeah. of Tunbridge Wells. Sort yeah. of, saying in effect that I'd destroyed their radio dreams. Oh, wow. Um, which, which was sort of half upsetting and half fantastic. Because, you... of course, at no point am I saying this is what Sea Area North yeah. Zero looks like. I mean, it's just, it's not that. No, exactly. it's, it's, a, it's a passing, fleeting impression. But I remember those, that exhibition and the sound and the work. It was incredibly successful. People loved it. Yeah, and people still talk about and, it. And what was, ama- what was amazing for me is that when you started to move away from that style, because you were taking photographs on a 6-6. Six, six. Six, six, yeah, um, it was a Mamiya 6, so it was yeah. very yeah. fluid. Uh, you held it up to your, your face, um, and it was a kind of young... When I look at it now, because it's all over, by the way, it's... Um, it's, it's, it's over this magnetic board I have in my studio in the sequence of the new book. Um, when I look at it now, I can see it's really very much the work of a young man, you know, yeah. ducking and diving and weaving. Um, but there are elements in those some of those pictures that point forward to what I will, I will do later. Yeah, but because what I was going to say was, you know, people loved it so much that when you started to move away from that and mm. started using large format, people, yeah. some people were really disappointed. Yeah, 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 and yeah, and you were. were like, well, I'm doing this new stuff, which is... I think your latest work in America, it's just incredible. And you can see the that's probably your best work. But now you've given them their, uh, the, you know, the, what they wanted because you're revisiting it. The yes. shipping forecast and new sequence, new pictures, yeah, exactly. which is really exciting. Exactly, 100 new pictures, so yeah. 63 in the original book. Um, so that is an interesting uh, thing because um, uh, that book... When I when I published the shipping forecast in ninety six ninety seven, um, we I was told by a reputable photo book publisher that a, a half decent photo book would sell about seven hundred copies to other <coughs> photographers, and that was it. So we did two thousand, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then the Observer made it their book of the week. Brilliant, and it sold out entirely within less than two weeks. The whole edition had gone. So we did another 3,000, they sold. We did another 5,000, they sold. So 10,000 copies of wow. that book sold. Amazing. Amazing. Um, by an unknown photographer. Uh, because it got out of the photography ghetto and got yeah. reached another audience yeah. altogether. And, and obviously it reached an audience of people who like loved the the concept of the shipping forecast, yeah. even if they couldn't understand That was it. the key, wasn't it? The shipping forecast. It was. And, and you know, the amount of work that you put in. You know, well, it, yeah, it, I mean, it, and, and, and I'm, I, I still to this day meet people who are no longer so young, but they were young at the time, who would have, who say, oh, I bought that for my dad or, or yeah, yeah. Uh, Christmas. And, and I'm very proud of the fact that there are, out there in, in countless suburban homes, there are bookshelves yeah. with one photo book on, Which and it's is, the yeah. shipping forecast. Yeah. And they maybe don't even know it's a photo book. Yeah. And it's very expensive on the secondary market because those kind of, they, they, they don't, get sold those books they yeah. don't, those people a lot of those people don't know they don't even think about selling the book it just sits there probably unread for years but it sits there and uh, anyway so I thought about I thought it so because it's 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 documentary photography because it is their pictures of 
what's in front of me. Um, what I've noticed is that documentary photography tends to get more interest, become more interesting, yeah. or certainly different as time passes. Yeah. So going back to the twelve hundred contact sheets I had, which was about it's about fourteen thousand, fourteen and a half thousand pictures. Um, it was just really interesting yeah, to no, go through it. I mean, it's hard work. Choosing it, and I made five hundred new scans, and I made lots of uh, and and five hundred ten eight uh, ten by eight uh, digital prints, and it was just this massive pile that sat on my desk for weeks because yeah, it was just overwhelming. I, I just didn't know where to start. I didn't I didn't make that link between us actually that you you you'd taken photography away from just photographers and sold it to normal people in yeah whatever. yeah and I, and that's what. I tried to do when I set out doing poetry it was to take it away from the poets and give it to just normal people who don't listen or read poetry um, so we yeah, I never made that connection between us before that actually you were doing that as well uh, yeah yeah well I, I, I didn't mean to yeah yeah I mean it was it was just fortunate that happened and I think without the observer's help it may not never have got out there but I, I understand I'm, I'm hearing stories that there are four weekend supplements that are vying with each other to do a piece about the new book so right. it could all happen all over again yeah because um, it's a radically different book from the first one I think a lot of people have bought the first one will buy the second <coughs> one and then there's a whole new audience of people who have never even seen it because it's quite cultish but it does sort of I think sorry to dominate the no, conversation no, but it. in a way this leads on to when we worked together and we did our Destroying the Laboratory yeah. for the sake of the experiment project, because the book we made from that was a poetry book, a photography book, and a book about graphic design A as design well. book, yeah. And it was all those things together, and it's a book that I certainly am enormously proud mm. of, mm. but it's been, I've found it extremely difficult to sell it, you yeah. know, because people, people don't, don't know what it is. It got the most votes for the Ted Hughes Award in poetry. From So in that initial vote, it, it got the most votes and we didn't get shortlisted for that very reason because I don't think they knew what it was. Yeah. They, they were like, oh, it's not, it is a poetry book, but it's also a photography book. Yeah. It's yeah. also and a design book. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh. Uh, and that, and I think in the photography world, it, reach some yeah but it never got past the, the stage of being shortlisted i think probably for the same reason that yes they were like oh it's a photography book but it's also got all these other elements in yeah. it yeah yeah and i yeah i i really love it but i think that is the thing it what it, it people didn't know what it was but i did a <clears throat> i did a book signing or i did a talk and a book signing about something completely different mm. uh, the other day a couple of months ago and um, I had a pile of destroying. I'd taken a pile of destroying mm. the laboratory with me, and um, and and I just happened to say off the top of my head to somebody, "Have you seen this book, by the way?" Because they were buying two other yeah, like, yeah. two other books, and and they said no. And and so I started to talk about it. I took the cellophane wrapper off yeah, and yeah. I showed them, and I said, but ama "Amazing." Uh, dust jacket on yeah, it. Yeah, you know. and all the hidden bits <clears throat> and the, yeah. you know it, all the bells and whistles on it, and and. And uh, and then this crowd just gathered around the table, and I sold all the copy, all ten wow. copies I had with me, because suddenly, with the with the sort of leg up into yeah, the work, yeah. I suppose it made sense to people, and it's still only thirty quid or twenty six. I didn't quid or expect it to. I didn't expect it to be so difficult that people wouldn't understand it or no. get it in that in that no. sense. Because for us, we were, I suppose, because we'd been on the journey together for so long four years on the road doing bits here and there that we were we were piecing it together in our own minds yeah. and then so when we came to deliver it to people and it, they were looking at it with fresh eyes they were like well it's incredible but yeah. what you know, yeah. yeah it's got that fold out of liverpool yeah it's just an incredible piece i remember that you got about going to liverpool i remember that i i, um, I remember because it was when sat navs were only yeah. just starting. I remember That's you right. saying to me, "Oh, should we put a sat nav? Get should we get a sat nav, and then just put in a postcode, and it will and, take yeah, us." Yeah, yeah. And we could never have thought that we no. And where the world is now, so quickly from when exactly. we made that work, it, exactly. it steamrolled quite quickly, didn't it? We it were, did. It did. And do you remember how we started it? 
I think I, you were going to do some pictures around Britain. Yeah. I think England, or England, specifically England. England. Yeah. And I was in two thousand six. That was at the time I was your assistant for some projects. Yes. And you, I was going to drive, and you yeah. were going to stop and take pictures. And I think, <laughs> okay, I do know this yeah, story. Yeah, so there one. was there was a point <laughs> I was supposed to be your assistant, carrying your equipment and. Doing things doing like that, help, and then help, I think it might have been raining a little yeah, bit, and, a little bit, and, yeah. and then I was in the van, yeah, and you came back and went, "Oh, thanks for setting up for me or <laughs> passing me my dark slides," and you were like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm writing poetry." Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and you weren't even driving because it was my and I was getting car. paid, and I was getting paid, so I was getting yeah. paid to write my own poetry. So I said to you, Dan, I think we need to rethink this. Why don't we work together on something? So you can write poetry to your heart's content and you don't yeah. have to carry anything for me, which is fine since you're not carrying anything for me anyway. And I'm going to stop paying you and we'll do something together. And, in, and indeed, um, it was a bit of a stop-start, unfortunately, wasn't it? Because we were both so yeah. busy all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hard. It was but a hard when we could do. both find some time in our diaries, we used to alternate, didn't we, between you choosing where to go and I choosing yeah. where to go. And then I think we... We, for me, it was very important that, I'd, of course, photography and poetry has, you know, they they're quite comfortable bedfellows. But what normally happens is that a, a poet will respond to an existing picture, or a photographer will go out and make a picture about a, you know, a poem. A yeah. poem it was, was like illustrative. It was always illustrative, wasn't it? Yeah. it was always um, illustrative, or it was almost ca- a caption, yeah. Yeah. you know. And so we decided, didn't we, that it would be interesting to actually go and experience the same things together and you write something and I'll, mm. I photograph. And then sometimes those things went together, but sometimes it might be a poem about Col- that you've written about Colchester that mm. went with a photograph yep. of Milton Keynes. It yep. didn't really matter. Sometime, but the, sometimes the, 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 the most important thing was that we worked together, so almost side by side. And what and we realised was we captured a climate of the... Of England at that time, which we, which we probably, it was there. We knew we, yeah. if you if you're in a place and you write something or photograph something, of course you're going to capture some sort of the spirit. But we could never have guessed how much of the spirit we were capturing. Of oh, things are going to turn really quickly and yeah. go to Brexit. Yeah, exactly. Outside of the outside of the bigger cities, it was very clear that there was a lot of dissatisfaction um, and. Um, and in fact, I've been working in America since 2012. Uh, so I started working just before Obama mm. got elected for his second term. But when I was in those early years, around 2014, 15, um, I was working a lot in the Midwest, you know, and, uh, and the, the disillusionment, dis- mm. dissatisfaction of Midwestern America, cent- the, cent- the centre of the country was so reminiscent of um, what yeah. we were finding. but uh, In the walls, wasn't it? You could sense it. We'd go into a pub, you could sense it in yeah, the wall. Yeah, yeah. And you probably found that in America and, as well. Exactly. And so out of that came the election of tr- that mad year mm. when, we, when we decided uh, to <laughs> vote to leave the European Union yeah, and, yeah. and Trump was elected. It yeah, happened yeah. at the same time. So it was, it was interesting that, to experience both of those things as almost mirror mirror a mirror image of each other uh, weird really strange and that book that book destroying the laboratory for the sake of the experiment you know really reflects where it was going and we could never have envisaged that i don't think um, no and the, no. the you know i'm i'm now doing you know since we've done that collaboration i'm, I'm now doing a collaboration with another poet because i really enjoy you know seeing what happens when you smash yeah. two things together because yeah. like, we do work very differently I think in our, yeah, in our spirit of how we do things but I think um, and we, we should mention Dom yes um, what's Dom's surname I always forget his surname uh, Brookman Brookman yes yeah, so, Brookman uh, he was an extraordinary he graphic designer yeah. wasn't he and we gave him just freedom to design the book in any way shape or form that he wanted yeah and no. it was amazing so we were interested in the way that image and text could work together you know and not just have 
although we did that sometimes, you know, a, a photograph with a, a poem nicely mm. typeset next to it. But yeah. often he would just let his imagination run wild. Yeah. And yeah. There's some amazing spreads in that. And, uh, you know, if you into photo books, then... And you know, books. And poetry books, but you know, go and go and buy it off of a. We need to sell some copies of that, <laughs> like make some space. Please. Now, I think it's what we mean. We're going for just over half an hour. I think it's a really brilliant time to do the thing that we do on Poet Waffle and ask the big question. Oh dear. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, your big question. Uh, I really like this question, by the way. Do you believe? that what you see is real. Hmm. And I don't, I, I've got a feeling in my head that this question's been asked before on a different episode, maybe episode two, but it might be slightly different. But um, it's coming from a photographer, so it's a really good one. Do I believe that what I see is real? Um, well, I think something that I've learned working as a photographer for 40 years and going out into the world and looking at it hard is that, um, and then coming back with pictures, is that, first of all, I'm, I'm looking at the world um, through certain attained knowledge, I suppose, mm -hmm. or preconceptions or prejudices. Mm. And uh, so inevitably, because of that, because we all have different experiences, different prejudices, whatever, um, that we we are seeing different things in the landscape. Mm -hmm. So I see that, so I make photographs that are large format, so they're very sharp and they're in focus all the way through. So I call them democratic photographs because mm -hmm. I'm not telling the reader or the, the viewer to look at something in particular. It's got edges, the frame has got or edges. Or what to think, would you go as far or as Or what that? to think, so yeah, they are yeah. kind of... <clears throat> Even though you're editing, a lot in the frame, out or outside. And the I frame. choose you, you, to press the button yeah. at a certain time, and I choose to photograph this or rather than that, and I choose to print this rather than that, um, and I framed it in the camera. So of course I am telling you what to look yeah, at. Yeah, a little. But yeah. then, then someone can look at those photographs who's interested in lampposts, yeah, and someone else who's interested in dogs, and someone else who's interested in clouds. Or politics, or what, or, you know, or, yeah, what, or, yeah, or those yeah. more abstract things, yeah. and, and be able to look at those things and get in the things you're interested in. But also, yes, according to your politics, you can read pictures in different ways. So that's one thing. So obviously a photograph is a two-dimensional representation of a four-dimensional world, mm. and so it's, it, it always fails... Yeah. To um, to um, to replicate what you see. So here's here's an example of that. I was doing a job. Um, I had an assignment to go to the Nissan car factory in Sunderland, where they they make the cash uh, cars. And um, it was my the first time that I'd used the digital camera, and I was with Murray, my assistant then. Mm. And we were on this gantry overlooking this um, extraordinary scene where there were these robots that were building cars. And the rest of the, the plant was all, it was like the scene of, a scene from Blade Runner because right. there was explosions and there were sparks and there were, you know, noise, cacophony of noise and, and robots, you know, that, that were beeping away everywhere. So it felt kind of dangerous and exciting. Anyway, so I took a, I was trying to photograph this these these robots on this production line, um, which technically was very difficult anyway. But then I so I was looking at the screen, and then I was looking at the thing, and I was looking at the screen, and I said to Murray, I think Murray, I think I've lost all my talent because this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and then uh, so I kept doing it, and I was getting really more, more and more depressed, and then. Um, and then Murray said to me, because he's, he's very sharp, some, you know, often, and he said, it's because you're seeing the picture at the same time yeah. as being there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it made, and so we talked about it later in the pub, that, of course, when you work on film, especially large format, <clears throat> you think very carefully about what you're photographing, and then uh, to the extent where you could, uh, you, could, you could draw it quite 
competently afterwards yeah. because you've got a memory yeah, actually yeah. in your head. Yeah. But you don't see those pictures for maybe two or three days at least because you have to go to the lab, you yeah. have to get the contact sheets made, etc. By which time the memory of having been there has yeah, gone, disappeared gone, yeah. a little yeah. bit. And then the memory becomes, if you like, the photograph. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And whereas what I was doing by seeing the picture immediately was that I was seeing all the things that photography was bad at. All, yeah. the, all its immediately. failings. Yeah. Immediately. Because yeah. you can't photograph yeah. fear. You can't photograph yeah. noise. You can't... And, and smell. And all these things. Or scale as well. When, just... when I started photography, when I was 17 or 18, one of the things I really loved about and the magic I found of it was taking the 3D object and then it would travel through time and space which is those fourth dimensions that you talked about and then it would land on a 2D plane mm -hmm. so you, mm -hmm. you're taking a, something 3D and actually flattening it yeah. and as you say then you have to then go and develop it and it suddenly becomes like magic because it's like the yeah. sun rising yeah. again and yeah. you, you get to see it again and so you're doing some sort of magic trick and I, I suppose why I stopped taking photos when the digital age came, not only because I'd lost enthusiasm for mm. photography because I was overthinking it, but it was definitely that idea of, oh, I'm taking it, I see it. And I, I, I was missing that process, that longer process mm. where, as you're talking, the memory of being somewhere and then seeing it, have you captured it successfully? Yes. Yes. And you'd always feel... It was more successful once you were developing it in a tank yeah. than it was when you, yes. as Murray had said, you know, when you see it on a screen immediately. You, yeah, you're... which is why a lot of people, a lot of photographers I know, tape up their screen because yeah. the other thing is if you're a kind of photojournalist, yeah. in the old days you'd have a 36 mm. picture, you know, 36 images on a roll of film and if you saw an event, something happening in front yeah. of you, you'd work it, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd maybe take an entire roll of film on one sort of incident because you didn't know if you'd got the picture. And the danger now, of course, is you just look at the screen and say, yeah. oh, that'll do, that's yeah. good, that's pretty you good. Look, look, and you yeah. don't know that you could actually get better. It yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you would get better, but it's that too easily satisfied. And so it's, it's an issue. Uh, but I, I, I have certain strategies to deal with yeah. it now. And, um, and I'm you know, absolutely a convert to, to working digitally. But yeah. I do have a kind of large format equivalent camera so yeah. I still have to cock the shutter and use a cable release it yeah. still has to be on a tripod so it's a slow experience and I still don't take that many pictures I, I retain because when I stopped using film it was costing me about 12 pounds per picture to get to contact sheet yeah and we had young kids and you know it was really literally about you know three pictures or a new pair of shoes for Chile yeah, you yeah. know and it was just ridiculous and so I was making less and less work but I've kept that idea of editing the world, you know, in front of, in, not thinking very hard about how to photograph something um, when I'm actually there. So, yeah. in other words, if I was commissioned to take a photograph of this chair, um, you, you might think, oh, I'll take 500 pictures of that chair because mm. one of them might be good. Mm. No, because I think for me, it's better to think about, to really walk around the chair, yeah, look yeah. at the chair, come back in an hour when the light is better, that kind of thing. And take three pictures of the chair because who wants to sit in front of a computer screen looking at 500 pictures of a chair that are almost it, exactly the same? It's impossible. It's funny, that skill of looking. I was definitely a much better looker. I've still got that skill, but when I was a photographer, I would look much more intently yeah. at the world. Even when I didn't have a camera, I'd look much more intently at the world. Whereas now I do tend to look at it slightly more freer. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm not, because uh, of the way I work as a, mm -hmm. as a poet. So mm -hmm. it, I do remember that um, intensity of looking yeah. that I don't think I have anymore. So if I'm a, if I was to try and take pictures now, I'd definitely take them in a in a much less not structure structure is the wrong word, but as you say, if I was taking the picture of the chair, I wouldn't be able to do it as well as you because well, of because of the way that you're trained your you trained your attention to detail at looking. Yep, I've also trained myself to be able to switch off though, because when right. I started out the first 15 years of my life, yeah. um, you know, a phot photographic life, I'd have a camera with me all the time, I'd always be looking and I'd be photographing anything and everything and it was just pointless, you know. So now I go to work and yeah. I'm very good at switching, switching off, back and, off and, yeah. you know, and, and, and gazing at the world, you know, in a daydream and yeah, not really yeah. looking at all. 
So, I, so that's I, healthy. I, it's a li- yes. I think it's it's a bit like riding a bike for me. I've done it enough now that I can just pick up a camera yeah. and work and and be yeah. able to get in that mode. But you talk about just going back to that question again. Yeah. Um, I you know I, it does make me think about you know propaganda and what we're told to look at and what yeah. we and we're told how to look at things and what to think about things. Um, I was thinking when I when you said oh you're going to choose that question the thing that st- stuck in my mind was the tools that we have to to process stuff like our lenses and our eyes are so basic mm-hmm. and rude. So we it's one of the first things you learn as a photographer well, um, uh, when we started was you know when you're taking a five four image it's all upside down. Yeah. So you realise or true. or you know in a thirty five mil that there's a mirror to turn the the image up the right way so we we learnt to look at stuff upside down yes. I don't I presume in digital you don't do that anymore do no you? it's yeah. still upside down oh okay so I use a ground glass screen so you so you, everything's upside down you don't and you don't think about it with your brain because your brain flips it the right way up but your lens in your eyes are just the same as the lens in the camera uh, yeah it's funny because somebody actually asked me recently if it's upside down and I couldn't I couldn't so it, actually and the think same, and, I, I just didn't know yeah. I had to go and look I think Build my camera. Oh, there you go. Oh, it is upside down. Yeah, because you get used to working that way. So used to it. And also, when it's upside down on the lens, you look harder. I always found I looked harder at the corners and everything because it was upside down, making sure you've got the right thing in the. Whereas, and also with colours, you you know, we our brain just um, you know puts the colours in. You know, things are probably in black and white, and they you know when when it hits your brain's filling in. Yeah. So all those things of what. And I, and I think about, you know, other, you know, we've got Kodak the dog here. What she's smelling and seeing, her world's going to look so different to the way that we are That's approaching true. the world. That is true. Um, so you could, I think, yeah, what we see, if I was to answer this, I'd say, no, it's not, what we see is not real in any way, shape or form, even if you take it away from the photography question. But I, on the other hand, I do try to make these days pictures that are as objective as I possibly can. And I know that is impossible because yeah. everything is subjective. Yeah. But it is, it is something I strive to do. So I do try to, uh, you know, quite blankly um, photograph what's in front of me. So to a certain extent, I must believe what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, in my, on my terms. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm always it's, surprised. It's very interesting. I'm always surprised how much editing. And if you've never been a photographer, you probably don't realise how much editing goes on in the camera. And then once you have the photographs, how much editing goes on, even sequencing, yeah, and, yeah. and some photographers crop stuff out. Yeah. The the what you obviously what you don't see is is much more than what you do see in the. So it can never really be real of what you're seeing because the edit is, is always... Oh, absolutely, of course. And, you know, rather like your work as a, as a poet, as a writer, um, I'm, I'm, se- I, I, no, I'm obsessive about sequencing, yeah. using p- pairs of pictures mm. that resonate off each other. So there's like something that starts to happen in between, almost yeah. like a third picture. They start to talk to each other, if it works. Yeah. Because you can, you can put together two very strong photographs and they could cancel each other out. Yeah. On the other hand, you might put two weaker pictures together that yeah. both that re- <coughs> that start lift to each sing, other don't they? up. Yeah. So in a way, I'm making, you know, sentences. Mm. It's just another, it's just another language. Yeah, exactly, it? yeah. Um, and and we've, we've, of course, we've learned, we're, we're quite sophisticated, particularly in the West. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's a contentious thing, but I think the kind of, imagery that I'm dealing with, uh, which, is, which is, a, is a Western way, I suppose, of looking, is we, we, people are quite sophisticated at being able to unpack that and yeah, look yeah, at exactly, it and, yeah. and understand it, and which is quite exciting. I mean, it takes me back to those, those Benson and Hedges adverts yeah. and Silk Cut adverts that were in the 70s, you know, when they were just... And they um, didn't even have the name of They didn't the, have anything. Yeah, it was yeah. a game that they played because they knew that people were bright enough, smart enough to be able to figure it out, and they'd like to figure it out. And that was with words as well. So, you know, letters just used to be pictures, yeah. and then they became 
a code that you yeah. could decipher. But people in the it, when writing was first invented, everyone could read. There was no illiterate. It was just like, oh, that's what it means. And then it suddenly became, oh, we can't read this. Yeah. anymore because it became very sophisticated and when, when I'm making words put together I'm doing exactly what I learnt during photography it was like I put two pictures together mm -hmm. I'm putting two words together and I'm making them I, I like to find a reference between the two or what what happens when you put those two words together and the other going back to that question is just because I've written that sentence doesn't mean I believe it no. but actually you know, what I learned with writing is that there's so many, you, you're writing stuff and people be like, oh, is that what you're thinking? Like, no, I've just written that down and I've said it out loud. I don't, it actually might be completely the opposite of what I, but people associate it with you. Mm. Same with probably making pictures. It's like, well, just because you take a picture of someone doing something that you might not agree with doesn't mean that that's what you're, but with words, it's much more difficult because people believe, oh, but it, uh, words, would you think words are more specific than pictures? Because I can, I can make pictures which are very open-ended and can yeah. be read on many levels depending, as I say, on your own prejudices or beliefs. And whereas words are, um, I, I, I suspect you try to make, to, to make poems which um, could be interpreted in various different yeah. ways, but it is... But the point about the written language is it is much more specific. Words have real meaning. It's what you were saying about when you go somewhere, you come with your own prejudices, prejudice, you know. Mm. So when people read stuff, they've already made up their mind what it means. Yeah. So I've heard poets, for example, or storytellers, they tell a story with them in it, but it's a completely fictional story. Yeah. So you believe it, you're like, oh, did you really do that? And they're like, oh, no, I just completely... That's a complete fabrication, but you would never know because they've told it in a way that, oh, my dad did this, and mm -hmm. you're completely in it. And then other, you know, other writers do things where nothing happens, but they're just giving you a feel. So 90% of what happens in the writing is happening in yeah. the person yeah. who's reading it. It might just be, you know, someone's gone fishing, and there's nothing happens, but you're the feeling you have of reading that. Mm -hmm. And that's what pictures mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. a lot of the time. There's nothing going on, but you're... it's what's happening in the viewer's head, isn't it? That they suddenly like, oh, wow. I'm and I think that's why, why performance poetry or spoke, the spoken word on a stage or wherever is so powerful because actually I think it seems to me that the delivery of a poem, the emphasis put on certain words, which you maybe don't get on a, on a written mm. on a page, mm -hmm. can change radically the meaning mm. or, the, you know, or, or is more of a leg up into what the poet is trying to yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah, um, because you can if you don't read it with those accents and those um, and, and 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 you know um, uh, the tone or the, the tone yeah. or, or, or emphasizing certain words or yeah, phrases. Yeah, exactly, then yeah. If you if you can't see that on the written page, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't translate. And it does help to hear have heard if you're reading a poem, having heard how they speak, mm. and then you can really the, it does make lift the poem off the page yes if you can just visualize yeah, yeah. in your head how they how they were talking yeah definitely yeah i think we answered that question pretty well mark oh. i think we went into a lot of things um so what else for you so is there anything you want to promote going out obviously the shipping forecast book. uh don't need to is it no no i mean um it's it yeah we're going on press uh, in Italy, uh, in three weeks' time, uh, I'm not ready yet. Yeah. Um, I'm still doing my scans and stuff of the negatives. Um, and so you I think have the, to go the, out the, there. The book, book, yeah, I'll be on press yeah. because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a crazy attention to detail yeah, kind yeah. of person. Uh, but it um, uh, should be out in October. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing it, of course. Yeah, brilliant. But it's always a bit of an anticlimax when is that it after all that? But um, it is it is work that I'm really proud of, and I think in in a funny way, because I started making this work thirty years ago, I'm able to almost disassociate myself with it. It's almost, I almost feel like I've been editing the work of someone else. Right. Yeah. And yeah. What's really frightening is that there are a lot of these pictures I don't remember yeah. ever 
making them it's or because even you, being there anymore. It's because you are a different person, isn't it? Well, I yeah. used to use photography as a kind of vague memoir because I thought, well, I don't have a very good memory. So mm. if I take a picture of this, then I'll remember, you know, the, the being there and I'll remember the bits around it. You know, maybe not too, but but actually because I've, I've you know, there's so many pictures now over the 40 years. I can't, you know, it's a bit like, like that yeah. Alexi Sale thing where he's walking down the street and says, if somebody tells me one more thing, I'll forget how to walk. And someone says, Paul Smith won the FA Cup in 1949 and he falls down. I mean, it's just, that's how it feels. I mean... Um, I'm, I'm interested in that, that when I look back at my early work, I can't write like that anymore. I can I can fall into it, but I, I don't really, you know, no, I've completely different. moved. And I think it's probably the same as you taking pictures. You could probably take those pictures again but you, you've moved so far away from that person yeah. or Bob Dylan singing those early songs and he, yeah, he, he and can't sing like that anymore yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the, the, I am still in a way defined by this work yeah, and yeah. this first book and, and, and I don't think any creative person particularly likes when they've done lots and lots of things subsequently I don't think any creative person particularly likes to be defined by what they did you know, the first album, if yeah. you like. Oh, this is Mark who done the shipping. Yeah. So I used to hate it. Which is I... why I loved it when you said you, you were waxing lyrical about the Good Morning America oh, series yeah. as possibly being my best work. I think it's my best work. I think A it lot is. of people don't. And, uh, 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 well, but, but, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of opening a can of worms by going back to it again. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's been really interesting making work in a contempt in contemporary America and going back and making this uh, and doing this re-edit of a book at the same time, so it's like two balls yeah, that are yeah. kind of totally different, uh, and it's it's it gives me a lot of energy that actually yeah to to be working. Are on you both working on? Once. You're always working on new work, but are you working on a a new project? You don't have to say what it is, but are you making pictures for something, or I, you're trying to find your feet? With I'm something? I'm um, what I find feel is I'm really losing my wanderlust. I love working in America, but right. I'm sort of looking forward to it being finished. Yeah. The plan is, because I'm a bit of a completist, the plan is to make work in all 50 states, and I'm up to about 44 wow. now. I'm going yeah. to Alaska in October. Um, do, you remember, do you remember... Um, 45. Do you remember yeah, we, we went, went to Alaska? Alaska. Do you remember did. I got frostbite on my toe? I know, because you were... <laughs> it was the middle of winter, Dan. No, and we were in northern Alaska, and you minus 30. turned up in tennis shoes. No, but... I I looked at the when it was when the I I it was it said eleven degrees. I didn't realise I think it was eleven degrees Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit yeah. and it was like minus thirty. And I was outside for two hours and I got frostbite. I <laughs> and then I and then I went it was such a liability. And then the guy <laughs> the guy took me back to but there was, wasn't there a girl she came out of the she came out of her shower room with wet hair and her hair fell fell yeah, off. Froze. It froze and it yeah. snapped. It was unbelievable up there. I think it's... you might. I think you might have dreamt that. Have one. I? I don't remember I that, man. I think... don't think people's hair snaps and falls off. I think it was wet and it, it snaps off. And anyway, anyway I, maybe I've just gone. made that up. But, I'm... but you're clearly not tough enough to be a photographer. No, do you know what? It was. It, it was an incredible place, though. We were. It was. So after they'd given me the snow boots and the proper, they gave me those snow boots that you could go to minus fifty in, mm. and I was I was really warm and lovely, and I, yeah. I loved, but. It was a place where um, Japanese tourists would go. And when the Northern Lights, yeah. the Aurora Borealis would come out, they'd all run back to their rooms because they thought it was good luck to conceive under the Northern Lights. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do. It yeah. was so but funny. But we didn't see any when we were up there, did we? We didn't see we it. Did, we just missed it. Yeah. I have seen the Aurora Borealis have in, you? in Norway, though. Ah. Have you seen it? No, um, no, not really. Right. I'd love to. Yeah. But uh, one thing we didn't do on that trip was we didn't take a dog sled. And I really regret that. It was a very magical place, wasn't it? I really regret because it was the, put on for the tourists to go out, you know, and yeah. just be, be towed by 12 huskies. I'd yeah, love to have really. done that. And I'm, 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 we didn't use the hot springs either. I wish no. I had done that. No. I'd like to take um, my boys and Gina up there. Yeah. Because it wasn't... I think with your frostbite, if you'd got into a... A hot spring. <laughs> your toes would have fell, fell off, laying <laughs> <in> your hair. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, um, no, I've I'm, I've I've lost my wanderlust lust because I I have travelled a lot in my life, and, yeah. and I think it's quite a typical thing. I think for photographers who I want to become more and more interested in making work, 
close to home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've been making tentatively a little project about the River Ooze. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm working with Joe on that, my, my now wife. Who's an artist years, as well. She is. So, um, you know, that's just a local river that um, runs for 45 miles. So it's a very doable thing and, and throughout the season. So it's not, it's not world shattering or anything, but it's just something I, I'm happy. It makes me happy to do it. But the other thing is, Dan, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I want to be a photographer in, you know, into my dotage. I think, right, yeah. you know, I, I feel that I've got something else in me. I might write about photography. Mm. I might, yeah. you know, I, I don't think I've got the proverbial novel in me like, you were telling me you might have um, earlier. Well, I've written, yeah, I've written going on to 20,000 words That's of it. That's amazing. But the problem, the problem with writing a novel, you just have to go away from the world. For mm. me, this is how I'd like to do it. Go away for three months and just write it. Problem of having kids. And I think, oh, school holidays come and then it, it's yes, back to... Yes. So I can, when they're at school, I can, I can write and get up and have a routine. Get up in the morning, write... 800 words, 1,000 words every day. But then all of a sudden the weekend comes or the, the holidays come quick and after six weeks you have to stop and then you do, then you have to get back into it again and that is the worst because then yeah. you're, you're trying to edit it again. Like, well, where was I? What was I yeah, doing? Yeah, and it, yeah. That's a really difficult thing to do. So, you know, maybe when they're a little bit older because they're nine, maybe when they're a little bit older they can take care of themselves a little bit more that's when I finish but I'd like to try and finish this one and then do another one when great wow if I can well my kids have left home they're both living in London now um, and um, so I do have this time and space that's opened up yeah so I don't know I I, um, I just don't want to be one of those boxers that you know keeps getting yeah, up yeah. and keeps fighting and keeps getting knocked down you know who used to be a champion and now it's just because it's you know, hard as well i think you know, I you've think worked incredibly hard yeah and if, if if there comes a time when i'm just not inspired by this anymore then i think it will be time to do something else how long how long have you been a photographer because you've had amazing things happen along that journey of 40 years from the, the the fall of the berlin wall when you were there yeah um all the way 40 years, it's a good number, isn't it? It's, yeah. Well, I haven't finished yet. I know, exactly. So you've um, got, you know... I've probably, you know... And I use heavy equipment. There'll be a time when I just can't lug it around anymore. Yeah. And I think for me, it's, it's, although it sounds like I always have an assistant, I actually don't. I mean, I have an assistant when I'm... If I can, if I've got an assignment and I'm being paid for. But I love the solitariness yeah, yeah. of working on my own. You know, my work in America is done alone. Yeah, uh, you know, I go off for three or four weeks and end up talking to myself because I get lonely. I didn't realise that's how much I loved. That's why I probably did photography because I like being by myself. Yeah. And I didn't realise that at the time. And what I kind of didn't like about poetry and those things is that you know when you're doing gigs and travelling with you know doing tours, there's a lot of times when you're with a lot of people, mm. and I find that quite overwhelming. Mm. Whereas when you're trudging along the countryside with a camera on your back. Yeah. Um, and it's just you and the landscape. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I took my 5.4 camera when I was 18 or 19 around Europe, um, interrailing. It was absolutely mental. But just you? I, I went with a friend, but I had a, I had a, a rucksack with a, a tripod and a 5.4 camera and all my dark slides. People, and I was doing... And no pants, no spare pants. I was changing, I was changing, uh, doing in hostels, doing my dark slides in hostels. Oh, and I was great. taking pictures of Venice, like so people would go to Venice and take all those, and I was taking pictures of beer crates <laughs> and stuff like that. And people, I think at that time when I was 18, doing that was quite unusual to photograph in that way. Yeah, you no, know, I don't think there was many But you people. were a very good student and you were, you, you, you did, I know you had a few run-ins with a couple of members of staff, oh. one in particular, but yeah. um, because you were dabbling with bringing pictures and words together. Yeah. And, and you know, and you, you weren't often exactly answering the brief as one yeah. member of staff. And I know you almost came to blows. But, that's, but actually, that was, it was really in, in, interesting and exciting to have someone like you on the course because, you know, these rules are all made to be yeah. broken. I'm, I've real, it's only now that I've realised that I can't follow those rules. You know, it's complete. So I've had it all. I remember, you know, it's been all through from my, you know, schooling up 
to now, even in poetry, I can't be part of that establishment because in the end I'm like, well, let's go and smash that up and mm. move over here, which I'm kind of doing now. So it, it's good in one way because it, it's very exciting for me, but it's not a great career choice because I think at University of Brighton I could have got, you know, a lot. So it, it, when I'd done my MA, it was even worse actually. Yeah. You know, it was, I, I'd done, I'd had what you had in it. So I'd done these large format pictures which people really loved on my BA and then when I moved to my MA I'd done these very dark black and white pictures mm. on large format which I've looked at the pictures now and it's one of those things 18 years later or 20 years later you can tell they're like oh wow that is it's a brilliant project but it never yeah, yeah, got yeah, yeah. It, all I got told was well why don't you make pictures like you were making because everyone loved them and I it was very I was I think that was the end for me really once I'd made that book and it yeah I think you were really misunderstood, and I think uh, uh, looking back, you were one of our most valuable students we've ever had. I mean, you'd certainly be in the team, the first team I'd pick, you know, of, <laughs> the, of the most team. interesting students. That we, and I taught for twenty five years. Um, and I because you don't have, want to toe the line. You don't, the, also, I wouldn't have got into the college if it wasn't because I'd, I'd had a, a year before. I'd had a uh, interview at Derby. And they dis- I was so nervous they'd dismiss me. And, and I was so nervous at Brighton. But because the work I'd done was interesting. Mm. It, it's, and I was mentioning, oh, who do you like? And I was like, oh, I like William Eggleston, mm. Stephen Shaw. People weren't talking no, about no, those, weren't. those um, artists back did then. Did I interview you? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I did. And that's why I got in. Not on the interview, because the interview was terrible. I remember I was so nervous. But it was on, oh, I'd done this work that was colourified for... I'm sure it wasn't as bad as you thought. Okay. Everyone's nervous at interviews. Oh, I think it's pretty bad. I was the sort of person on a, on my first driving test on the emergency stop, hit the accelerator instead of the brake. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just on, on the, the you know the other side of the table in an interview, I hated interviewing because right, yeah. I hated that wielding that power yeah, yeah. to be able to change someone's life yeah, yeah. or not. But yes. I loved my years there. I loved my Brighton years. I don't look back on them and go, oh, I loved the BA. Mm. The MA was more problematic because of things that were going on in my life. But um, yeah. I loved my Brighton years. I, you know, yeah. we, I, we met in some incredible people. That was a special year. There were some really good students in that year. Yeah. It's, yeah, people that have gone on in photography to do amazing things. And other and other fields, yeah. you know. it's. Um, I think that's a really good place to stop. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Mark for being on my podcast it's been a pleasure Dan yeah William um, thank you and thank you for coming down here and uh, thanks for listening and you've been listening to Poet Waffle see you next time Poet Waffle was written and presented by Daniel Cockrell original concept by Jack White music and audio production by Julian Ward artwork by Damien Wayhill and technical support from Laurie Eaves.